0: Hey guys, Shane here. Welcome to another episode of Pursuing Jesus podcast. We're talking about living unoffended in regards to receiving correction. I believe that this episode, while short, can be very impactful in helping you run this race well. Helping you live a life of faith. You need to be able to receive correction. If you can't, you are surely headed For a fall. And so we're going to talk about that today. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for sharing. You guys are helping us reach more and more people. Please, if these episodes impact you at the end of them, just just hit that copy link button and message it to some of your friends or your close family. Um, I know whenever I hear something really cool, I send it to some of my best friends or I send it to my wife or I send it to my mom and dad and my sister. Like, if this speaks to you, if it could really help you, then maybe it can help them too. Also, um, we're doing our annual fundraiser for a nonprofit. Uh, we, we had a big goal of $42,000. Someone already gave a gift of 5300 and then we've had a couple donors give another almost grand. And so we're down close to 35000 something If you are willing to support us, we need to hire two people. I've talked about that many times. The link is in the description of this podcast. Please consider giving and helping. This will be our only fundraiser of the year. Uh, we really need to make this happen. So thank you so much. Guys, let's get into this. Let me read you uh, a passage quickly from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 8. Here's what Paul is saying. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Listen to this. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. He goes on to say this for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. How many of you have ever experienced godly sorrow? You did something you shouldn't have, and either God corrected you or a human corrected you, and you were just like, oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. And it wasn't like a a, a worldly regret where you're just like, I'm such an idiot and I'm not worth anything. It's like a deep godly sorrow where your heart is moved and you're just like, you have such clarity and you're like, man. I am going to do that right next time. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, Observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done wrong nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Guys, this is it. This is someone who is correcting. I mean, there were some big, if you read Paul's epistles, he dropped some big bombs. He, he even asked one uh, group of people, he says, who's bewitched you? Who's fooled you? You guys are acting like fools. Why are you living this way? Who's preached you a different gospel? I mean, these are not comfortable things to hear. And I made a little post about this on Instagram, and it was inspired by, you know, a big-time pastor who did something wild that I talked about, and people were correcting him in the comments. And, And people were being kind about it, but people were like, hey, this was way off, or this was this, or this was that. And... The, the response is kind of like, oh, you know, everyone's going to hate you when you're living for Jesus or whatever. It's like there's this persecution complex of like, oh, I'm always persecuted for the gospel. It's like, dude, you're not being persecuted. You're in error. And thousands and thousands of people are trying to tell you. Now, here's the thing I want to get to. And... This is where we have to be dead to ourselves. Guys, you will never live unoffended if you are allowed uh, to let your flesh do whatever it wants. If you if you have a reputation to protect, if you've got a safe face, if you're worried about looking a certain way or you're trying to keep up appearances, you'll never live unoffended. You'll always be offended. You'll always be on edge. You'll always be trying to hush out the haters you know, and that's what people say now whenever correction comes in. Oh, you're throwing shade. Oh, you're just hating. Oh, you're just jealous. Oh, you're just whatever. If if someone's correction is godly and it's biblically based, you might hate it. It might make you feel bad. It might even come with a temptation to feel ashamed and all these things, which is not from God, but 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 the devil can attach a temptation to something that's godly. You could receive godly correction, and the enemy can tempt you to get offended by it, and you could feel ashamed by it, and then all of a sudden you want to run away from it when it's the very thing you need. So correction can be all these things. It can, it can be mean. It can be it can whatever. If it's godly and biblically based, you need to take heed of it. Now check this out. If you're living unoffended, then you can't get offended. So here's a scenario Someone comes into your life, no relationship at all, um, they just see something you're doing or whatever, and they bring correction, and it's wrong. Say that it's wrong. Like, they're totally just off. Now, if you're living and offended, you can just say, hey, you know, thank you so much. And look, love hopes all things. I believe that love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, it is looking for the best in people. Love is, it doesn't overlook wrongs, but love assumes the best first. And so I never assume people's motives. You know, when I was a cop, it was my job to find people's motives, and we could create a a theory of someone's motive, but I can never assume a person's motive. And so I, I always try to hope for the best. And so say someone were to bring a wild correction to me, that's just like off, you know, it's not right, it's not... Maybe it's biblical, but it doesn't even apply, or something. Who knows? I'm going to assume that this person really believes that I'm wrong, and they're looking out for me, and I can receive that correction. Well, I, well, let me let me back up. I can I can receive what they're saying without being offended. That's what I mean. If I if it's not something that's accurate, then there's nothing to be corrected. But I can just say, hey. You know, thanks so much for bringing that to my attention. Um, I I do believe you're looking out for me and you have my best interests in mind. You know, I actually don't think that that applies and here's why or whatever, but I do want to thank you for reaching out because I believe you genuinely thought I was in error. You thought this and you want me to be accurate. You want me to be right. You don't want me to be, you know, living wrong or walking wrong or speaking wrong. So thank you for bringing that up. That is how you stay coachable. That's how you stay teachable, that's how you stay humble, is even if someone's wrong, you're not like, are you kidding me? You're going to say that? You have no idea what you're talking about. You didn't blah, blah, blah. And you, you're totally off. You're wrong. You have no idea what you're saying. That is just, that's what the world does. Unless someone tells me their motive is like, hey, I'm trying to tear you down. Well, I'm not going to listen to that person anyways. But but when someone corrects you, you have to first assume that they are loving you because godly correction is one of the greatest ways you can show someone love because think about it someone sees you or they perceive you to be in error and they are coming to try to help you align back with God's word now do people have perfect delivery totally not um would we prefer it to come from someone that we're close with that we trust that we have a relationship with Absolutely. We would prefer that. Does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't. Someone doesn't have to be your best friend to bring correction into your life. How many of you know that if I say something wrong—I'll give you an example. I've said something that was inaccurate. I I, was—I put two different verses together or something like that. I remembered two different Bible stories, and I accidentally, you know, was making a video, and I put it into one and I got a random DM from someone I don't even know that was like hey bro you're wrong that's not even that story now if I'm like I can't receive correction from anyone except from my mentors and my best friend and my wife and god then I would just swipe right and delete that DM but because my goal is is to not to save face or never be wrong my goal is to create biblically accurate content And my goal is also to remain humble. And so I said, oh my gosh, thanks for letting me know. Now, I didn't assume that that person's just trying to hate or they're just trying to tear me down or they're just jealous because i got all these views. I'm thinking, hey, this person sees something that's wrong and they want it to be right. They want to let me know. So I said, hey, thanks so much. And I took the video down. I made a little post and said, hey, my bad. I mixed two stories up. Hey, I'm human. It happens. But someone let me know. Thanks for letting me know. And now I'm making it right. I'm not worried about, oh my gosh, Shane, you know, made a video and then he deleted it and said he was wrong. like he's so dumb, we shouldn't follow him anymore. I don't even care about that. I care more about having integrity. I care more about being known as someone who is humble. Um, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And it is actually not hard to be humble. It's easy if you don't care about yourself as far as the world is concerned. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about my image. I stand before one person. I am accountable to one person, and that is God. And if I am living my life in a way that honors Him, then I will honor everyone else in my life. So if someone corrects me, then it is now my responsibility to either reject their correction, even though they're right, or to accept it and be thankful. Is this making sense? Now, when someone has come in and they've tried to correct me on something that is not true or is not right, you know, like, uh, let's say the rapture theology, you know, I don't believe in it. Um, It's a new theology. I've talked about this before. Anything that hasn't been taught by the early church or the church within the last, you know, the first 1600 years of the church existing... It should be very heavily scrutinized and most likely rejected. Um, you know, any new theology is something you need to really dive into and figure it out. And you know, rapture theology is new, and it just doesn't—it's not backed by the Bible, in my opinion. And people have different opinions. And guess what? It's not a salvation issue. So you could debate about it all day, and that's cool. But at the end of the day, it's not going to keep someone. Uh, from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and dedicating their life to Him. So anyways, I've had people send me messages on why I'm wrong. And I'm just like, hey, I appreciate you. I think that you believe you're right. You believe you have biblical evidence for why you're right. And you also believe that I'm wrong. And so you're reaching out to me because you want me to to be corrected. And while I really appreciate you, I I have a different belief. So we're going to have to agree to disagree. And that's where it ends. Uh, If I was an offended person, then I would think that I'm awesome. I would think that everything I say is right. I would think that um, if someone tries to correct me, there must be something that they're seeing wrong because there's no way I could be wrong. That is a dangerous place to be. But can I tell you that there are some big-time ministers that have fallen in the last seven years And they were all, and this was evidenced by uh, testimonials from their staff, from their friends, um, from people who used to be friends with them before they fell and they separated because they knew it was coming, like just by the way they were acting. They all had people in their lives that would not confront them. They had yes men. They had yes women. They They were fortified. I love that word. They were fortified. They were guarded. They were closed in and protected on all sides by people that would just say yes to them, that would just agree with them, that would just tell them how great they are, and that would never challenge them because that would be seen as some sort of quasi-betrayal, quasi which is ridiculous. And what ends up happening? They end up falling. They end up having massive moral failures or... Uh, integrity failures and failures in the ministry and they end up having to make a public apology and their ministry is never the same and many people are hurt. Totally avoidable if there had been people in their life that were able to bring correction when it was needed. And it wasn't to tear them down. It was to build them up in a godly way to say, hey man, hey girl, you're a little off here and I'm worried about where this is going. You know, if you talk to people that have spent time with me, um, one, I love this kind of correction because it, it, personally, I love receiving this kind of correction because it makes sense to me. When I was a police officer, when I was in the Army, I remember that people wouldn't just correct what I was doing in the moment. They would begin to explain to me how down the road it could have even worse detrimental effects. And that's what I really appreciate. I don't don't just want to hear, hey, you're doing this wrong, stop doing this. I mean, if you're my teacher or my mentor, I'm going to I'm gonna listen to you. I'm going to say, okay, but there's a deeper part of me. I want to understand why you're telling me this. And so I would ask them. Sometimes I had a great teacher, and they would go ahead and explain, but I usually had to ask. I would say, hey, why don't you want me to do that? I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not challenging you. I want to know. Why should I not do that? And they would say, well, if you continue doing this over time, this is where you're going to be. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to end up there. So if you ask anyone that's spent time with me, I'm the kind of person who, when I bring correction, it's because I'm seeing, you know, a hundred miles down the road and I'm looking through the lens of where is this going to head? And when you begin to look that way, you begin to look into the motive of people because everything that we do is, um, it's motivated by something, right? Every action that we take, every interaction that we have, the way that we respond, the way that we you know, um, talk, the way that we make a video, maybe we're making content, the way that we preach, the way that we, um, anything, the way that we do things, there is a motive to it. And we are called in the Bible to live soberly, live righteously, live godly. Like our motive should just be, I want to shine for Jesus. Now sometimes on accident, we can have selfish motives. We can have motives of like, Oh, I, I look really good today. So I want this video to, I want to make a video just because I look good, you know, and I want attention. Or we can say, oh, I, you know, my motive is that whatever. We can, we can just have motives that, you know, they're not necessarily bad or evil, but they're not totally pure. And the, the thing is that if I see that, I look down the road and I go, that might not be a big problem now. But what that could turn into is something that will get out of control. And so I love to nip things in the bud. And um, if these ministers that had fallen, if they had been able to receive correction like that, I'm willing to bet these things would not have happened. Because God will put people in your life that are there to help you stay on the narrow path. They are left and right limits. They are left and right bumpers, if you will, like at a bowling alley. Like you might run into those bumpers and you might bounce off of them and that's not going to feel good, but at the end of the day, you're going to make it down to the end where the pins are. And that's the goal for us as Christians is like, look, we're, we're, not, we're not going to live a perfect life, but we don't want to do anything that's going to put us in another lane, so to speak, if we're using the bowling analogy. I want to live in such a way that you know what I might bump off the left and right bumpers. I might not always make the best decisions, but every decision I make is 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 going to be um because I thought that this is what I was supposed to do. And if I ever do something aside from that, I I need people in my life who can say, "Hey man, that was a little off." You know, what was that? Where did that come from? You know, and they're and they're not just going to Uh, take my word for it. Like if I'm just like, oh, it was nothing. Like people who really love me, who are going to dig, who are going to be like, no, man, come on. Like tell me what really happened. Tell me about the whatever. You have to have people in your life that will keep you accountable because that is the only way you're going to endure. And guys, let me tell you, you can't want correction in your life and also resist correction. You have to be open to it. And I will tell you that the older you get and the more you walk with the Lord, the more you desire correction. This is why in the Psalms, David says, I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Like, he, you realize that it is God's law, God's commands, God's will over our life is the only thing that is keeping us in check in a twisted and perverse and dark generation. We have to stay close to God's Word. And sometimes you can be so knee-deep in something, and it could be something good. You could be knee-deep in just plans for ministry or you know, for your family or your business or whatever you've got going on, and it can be good. But you can get so overwhelmed or so zealous about something that, that you might have blind spots. And it is so important to be surrounded by people who are looking out for you. And I want to finish with this little uh, story. From Chris Valatin. This was great. You can find it on YouTube, I believe. Um, but he was talking about this issue. I heard this years ago, and he was saying, you know what? Um, correction isn't always fun. And I'm paraphrasing here because I haven't seen it in literally like four years. But he basically says, look, correction isn't always fun, but I have to assume the best, especially when it's coming from people that I know. And so he said, one day, um, one of my buddies came in who, who I work with, And he said, Hey, Chris, do you have a minute? And I was like, Yeah, I've got like a, you know, two minutes before this briefing that I have or this board meeting or whatever. And the guy said, Okay, cool. Well, listen, I only have one minute because I literally have to run to catch a flight. But I need to tell you this. Um, You were really prideful in last week's meeting. And I just feel like, you know, there's some pride stuff going on. And he said, Then he literally just left. He said, You were prideful and he leaves. And he says, man, my flesh was rising up. I was instantly like, what? I wasn't prideful. Like, I haven't been living in pride, you know? And he said it took him some time, but he began to... And and he's like, how awkward is that? That someone just dips in your office, gives you a quick rebuke, and then they leave. And there's no explanation. There's no chance to talk it out. He says, hey, I wish we could talk, but I have to catch this flight. And he bolts. And so Chris is like, man, I had to sit down with the Lord and get humble and say, Lord, honestly, I don't feel like I was prideful, but can you please help me? Because this is this is the key here, and this is where I'm going with this. This specifically applies to people that are close to you. He said, the Lord asked me, or something like this, the Lord said, what was your friend's motive for telling you that you're prideful? Either he hates you and he's trying to tear you down, or he's trying to mess with your mind, or... He really loves you and he really wants to protect you and he really believes at some point that you were prideful and he had to bring it up. And Chris said when he saw it through that lens of like, oh my gosh, look, he wouldn't tell me something like this if he didn't believe it was true and he definitely wouldn't tell me something like this in this short period of time and then have to leave if he didn't love me. So he began to look back on the situation through the lens of someone who loves me told me that I was prideful. I need to revisit that situation and look at it and ask God to show me. And he said, as he began to pray on it, he began to see, oh man, you know what? I made some little quick remarks that I thought nothing of, but they were, they, they were perceived prideful. And he says, I might have even accidentally been in pride because I was just dismissive or whatever. And he said he ended up uh, repenting of that and thanking the friend, and he brought everyone in who was at that meeting and he apologized for being quick, for being prideful, for whatever, and he repented in front of the whole staff. Isn't that incredible? Like Chris was saying, man, you have to be at this place where you're so humble, you're so willing to receive correction that someone could literally just pop in and say, hey, I don't have a lot of time, but I need to let you know you, you're pride. I think you're being prideful last week or something. They, like, they can just rebuke you and then leave. And you can be so trusted by the Lord to take that with up with Him. I mean, that's powerful. I want that kind of humility. And it only comes when you stay correctable. If you think that you're always right, if you think that you can't fall, if you think that there's no way you could ever mess up, ever sin, ever be prideful, ever be angry, ever be whatever, you're wrong. And the Bible says, If any man thinks he stands... Let him take heed lest he fall. We can never think that we're above reproach, that our lives are uncorrectable. I am constantly asking God, Lord, please make the narrow path even more narrow. I want to walk so closely with you. Please continue bringing people into my life that are looking out for me, that love me and that will call me on things. And I have people in my life that have specifically you know, spoken with, that are mentors, that are, um, you know, spiritual fathers, and I've said, hey, I, I, I hope that you already know this because of your position in my life, but I want to make it explicitly known to you. If you ever see anything that is questionable in any way, please call me immediately because I'm open to correction. And I don't do that with everyone, but there are a handful of people in my life that I trust that really love the Lord, and I know hear His voice, and I know will look at my stuff and be, um, you know, they'll examine it to see what are my motives or whatever, and they will call me if they see something. And I'm so thankful for that. And so I want to encourage you as we close this episode, one, you need to be humble. You need to be correctable. And two, surround yourself with people who will bring correction, who will rebuke you, who will love you. Now, obviously, the people that I have in my around me, they don't only rebuke me. Like, I'm not just constantly followed around by people who are correcting me all the time. Um, there's a healthy balance there. But I will say this. If I was always in error, then I would probably always be corrected. Um, you know, I, look at it this way. if I, When I was a new wrestler, when I was just a boy and I started wrestling my coaches made a lot of critiques now if i was offended easily or i was insecure i might quit because i would think i can't do anything right all they do is correct me all they do is (laughs) like they're coaches and i'm new and i'm young and i'm Do you ever think the reason people might be correcting you so much is because you're making a lot of mistakes that's nothing to get ashamed about. That's nothing to get down about. But it's just have a self-awareness, you know? Okay, why are people correcting me so much? Man, maybe I really just am off right now. Maybe I'm just in a in a growing season. Maybe I'm young. Maybe I'm immature. Maybe I'm whatever. But either someone is really just riding my back and they are trying to beat me up or I actually am making a lot of mistakes and I need correction. How many of you know, as I went on through my wrestling career, the corrections became less and less, right? It wasn't about big things anymore. I started to be corrected on little things, little details. As you walk with people through life, you should notice that the corrections that come, they're not going to be these main big things anymore. I think about my own son. Like there's going to be a day where I have to tell him like, hey, buddy, don't touch the stove. It's hot. But as he gets older... I won't need to tell him that anymore, but I might need to tell him, hey, don't forget to turn off the burner when you're done. Or, hey, you know, you're cooking that specific type of meat. You need to set the burner on this temperature, not this one. If he's teachable, if he's humble, if he's coachable, he'll just say, thanks, Dad. He won't say, oh, I can't believe you're going to tell me that you're always telling me. You're always telling me about the... Like, guys, we've got to humble ourselves. And you know what's cool? If you're really humble, and someone is constantly correcting you, like too much, and and you'll know this in a healthy place because you're not living out of your flesh, you're you're as best you can, you're living by the Spirit. You really feel like, man, I'm coachable, I'm correctable, I can take a rebuke, like I can take discipline. But I just really feel like this person is like writing my case. Then, with a pure heart, you can go up to that person and say, hey. I know you love me. I know you're looking out for me. I really appreciate you bringing correction into my life here and there. But for the last however long, it's really felt like you've just been hounding me. Now, maybe I have a bad perception. Maybe I am dealing with some offense or some insecurity, and like I want to work that out with you. Or maybe you just are correcting me a little too much. Like I'd love to have a conversation about that. And who knows that through that conversation, that person could be like, oh, my gosh, you know what? I was totally being a little nitpicky. I'm so sorry. Like, I never meant to ride your case. I thought I was being helpful. And now, as we talk this out, I realize I was being so overbearing. Thanks for having grace with me. Thanks for forgiving me. Like, I love you. You know? Or they could explain all of the reasons that they were being that way, and you could say, wow, you know what? You had a good reason for every single one of those. Maybe I am still dealing a little bit with like insecurity with a little bit of offense because it was hard for me to receive all those corrections but look i appreciate you i know you're just looking out for me like i know we're going to find this balance that is how adults communicate you get to talk you get to you get to work things out between the two of you isn't that incredible Guys, this is so important because I can't tell you enough how many big ministers have fallen because they did not have what I just ran through, that scenario. They, they were not open to correction, or maybe they were, but only in certain areas. There were certain things you couldn't correct them about. And I'm telling you, when I saw this response from this big pastor um, who just did this wild thing, I was grieved again because I was like, man, you know what? This was a chance to kind of own up to some of the things you did that weren't good and, you know, stand by the things you did that you believe were good. But when you just throw everything out as, well, we're just receiving hate, we're just receiving persecution, you know, every time, when, every time you fly high, you hit turbulence, like this is just new devils, new levels. That just shows that you're not coachable anymore. You're not correctable, and that's a scary place to be. So let's be people that if we're going to burn for a lifetime, that's going to mean we need the log of discipline on our fire. We need the log of correction. We need some fathers and mothers in our faith to come alongside us, keep us on the narrow path, and uh, we're going to burn for a lifetime. Amen? Guys, if this episode spoke to you, if it helped you, please share it. And again, please consider uh, giving to our annual fundraiser. We really need some help. The link is in the description. God bless you guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you tomorrow.